Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 32 to 33, and in the previous episode, we read chapters 29 to 31. And in the previous episode, it was an amazing episode. If you guys haven't listened to that yet, I recommend you guys go check that out. It was three chapters long, and it had quite the punch in terms of story, plot, and everything. Um... The group had finally been able to beat Hercules, and although it may have seemed that Piper did not keep her promise to Achilles, in the end, she did. She didn't give the horn to Hercules and ended up leaving with it. So they were able to finally pass through, they were able to pass through the island, and they have landed in Rome, and it was great. I mean, as, uh, you coming seeing from the eyes of possibly someone who's never been to Europe before I think we can the capture of their emotions was phenomenal I think just seeing how the contrast between the nervousness of fighting for their life while at the same time being in awe of actually being in Rome being in Europe and being in the old Olympians headquarters that that contrast between the emotions was just really well shown and i think although it was for a short time i guess it it was well it was it was well written in terms of how excited the group was just the fact that they were in rome but also the nervousness that now they have to fight for the both of the camps as well as fight for their own lives against gaia and her army so everybody essentially split up and decided to go uh, into different different groups in order to fulfill different parts of the mission. Uh, we're going to focus on Percy and Annabeth, who are going to try and track down the infamous uh, Athena uh, statue that would hopefully bring back Athena's glory slash Minerva's glory. Um back to herself so now we're going to read chapter 32 percy and see how this adventure goes under different circumstances wandering through rome with annabeth would have been pretty awesome they held hands as they navigated the winding streets dodging cars and crazy crazy vespa drivers squeezing through mobs of tourists and wading through oceans of pigeons the day warmed up quickly once they got away from the car exhaust on the main roads the air smelled of baking bread and freshly cut flowers They aimed for the Colosseum because that was an easy landmark, but getting there proved harder than Percy anticipated. As big and confusing as the city had looked from above, it was even more so on the ground. Several times they got lost on dead-edge streets. They found beautiful fountains and huge monuments by accident. Annabeth commented on the architecture, but Percy kept his eyes open for other things. Once he spotted a glowing purple ghost, a lar, glaring at them from the window of an apartment building. Another time, he saw a white-robed woman, maybe a nymph or a goddess, holding a wicked-looking knife, slipping between ruined columns in a public park. Nothing attacked them, but Percy felt like they were being watched, and the watchers were not friendly. Finally, they reached the Colosseum, where a dozen guys in cheap gladiator costumes were scuffling with the police. Plastic swords versus batons. Percy wasn't sure what that was about, but he and Annabeth decided to keep walking. Sometimes mortals were even stranger than monsters. They made their way west, stopping every once in a while to ask directions to the river. Percy hadn't considered that the people in Italy spoke Italian, while he did not. 
As it turned out, though, there wasn't much of a problem. The few times someone approached them on the street and asked a question, Percy just looked at them in confusion and they switched to English. Next discovery. The Italians used euros and Percy didn't have any. He regretted this as soon as he found a tourist shop that sold sodas. By then, it was almost noon, getting really hot, and Percy was starting to wish he had a trireme filled with Diet Coke. Ammon solved the problem. She dug around in her backpack, brought out Dallas's laptop, and typed in a few commands. A plastic card ejected from a slot in the side. Ameth waved it triumphantly. International credit card for emergencies. Percy stared at her in, in amazement. How did you... No, never mind. I don't want to know. Just keep being awesome. The sodas helped, but they were still hot and tired by the time they arrived at the Tiber River. The shore was edged with a stone embankment. A chaotic assortment of warehouses, apartments, stores, and cafes crowded the riverfront. The Tiber itself was wide, lazy, and caramel-colored. A few tall cypress trees hung over the banks. The nearest bridge looked fairly new, made from iron girders. But right next to it stood a crumbling line of stone arches that stopped halfway across the river. Ruins that might have been left over from the days of the Caesars. This is it. Ambeth pointed at the old stone bridge. I recognize that from the map. But what do we do now? Percy was glad she had said we. He didn't want to leave her yet. In fact, he wasn't sure he could make himself do it when the time came. Gaia's words came back to him. Will you fall alone? He stared at the river, wondering how they could make contact with the god Tiberinus. Tiberinus. He didn't really want to jump in. The Tiber didn't look much cleaner than the East River back home, where he'd had too many encounters with grouchy river spirits. He gestured to a nearby cafe with tables overlooking the water. It's about lunchtime. How about we try your credit card again? Even though it was noon, the place was empty. They picked a table outside by the river and a waiter hurried over. He looked a bit surprised to see him, especially when they said they wanted lunch. American? He asked with a pained smile. Uh, yes, Ambit said. And I'd love a pizza, Percy said. The waiter looked like he was trying to swallow a euro coin. Uh, of course you would, Signor. And let me guess a Coca-Cola with ice? <laughs> awesome. Percy said. He didn't understand why the guy was giving him such a sour face. It wasn't like Percy had asked for a blue Coke. Ameth ordered a panini and some fizzy water. After the waiter left, she smiled at Percy. I think Italians eat a lot later in the day. They don't put ice in their drinks, and they only do pizza for tourists. Oh, Percy shrugged. The best Italian food, and they don't even eat it? I wouldn't say that in front of the waiter. They held hands across the table. Percy was content just to look at Annabeth in the sunlight. It always made her hair so bright and warm. Her eyes took on the colors of the sky and the cobblestones, alternately brown or blue. He wondered if he should tell Annabeth his dream about Gaia destroying Camp Half-Blood. He decided against it. She didn't need anything else to worry about. Now with what she was facing. But it made him wonder. What would have happened if they hadn't scared off Chrysler's pirates? Percy and Annabeth would have been put in chains and taken to Gaia's minions. Their blood would have been spilled on an ancient stones. Percy guessed that them, that meant they would have been taken to Greece for some big, horrible sacrifice. But Annabeth and he had been in plenty of bad situations together. They could have figured out an escape plan, saved the day, and Annabeth, Annabeth wouldn't be facing the solo question room. It doesn't matter when you fall. Gaia had said. Percy knew it was a horrible wish, but he already regretted that he hadn't been they hadn't been captured at sea. At least Annabeth and he would have been together. 
You shouldn't feel ashamed. Annabeth said. You're thinking about Christ here, aren't you? Swords can't solve every problem. You saved us in the end. In spite of himself, Percy smiled. How do you do that? You always know what I'm thinking. I know you, she said. And you like me anyway? Percy wanted to ask, but he held it back. Percy, she said, you can't carry the weight of this whole quest. It's impossible. That's why there are seven of us, and you'll have to let me search for the Athena Parthenos on my own. I missed you, he confessed. For months, a huge chunk of our lives was taken away. If I lost you again... Lunch arrived. The waiter looked much calmer, having accepted the fact that they were clueless Americans, he had apparently decided to forgive them and treat them politely. It is a beautiful view, he said, nodding toward the river. Enjoy, please. Once he left, they ate in silence. The pizza was a bland, doughy square with not a lot of cheese. Maybe Percy thought that's why Romans didn't eat it. Poor Romans. You'll have to trust me, Abbott said. Percy almost thought she was talking to her sandwich because she didn't meet his eyes. You've got to believe I'll come back. He swallowed another bite. I believe in you. That's not the problem. But come back from where? The sound of a Vespa interrupted them. Percy looked around along the riverfront and did a double take. The motor scooter was an old-fashioned model, big and baby blue. The driver was a guy in a silky gray suit. Behind him sat a younger woman with a headscarf, her hands around the man's waist. They weaved Nab between cafe tables and puttered to a stop next to Percy and Annabeth. Well, hello, the man said. His voice was deep, almost croaky, like a movie actor's. His hair was short and greased back from his craggy face. He was handsome in a 1950s dad-on-television way. Even his clothes seemed old-fashioned. When he stepped off his bike, the waistline of his slacks was way higher than normal. But somehow, he still managed to look manly and stylish, not like a total goober. Percy had trouble guessing his age. Maybe 30-something, though the man's fashion and manner seemed grandfatherish. The woman slid off the bike. We've had the most lovely morning, she said breathlessly. She looked about 21, also dressed in an old-fashioned style. Her ankle-length marigold skirt and white blouse were pinched together with a large leather belt, giving her the narrowest waist Percy had ever seen. When she removed her scarf, her short, wavy black hair bounced into perfect shape. She had dark, playful eyes and a brilliant smile. Percy had seen naiads that looked less pixie-ish than this lady. Amit's sandwich fell out of her hands. Oh, gods, how... How... She seemed so stunned that Percy figured he he ought to know these two. You guys do look familiar, he decided. He thought he might have seen their faces on television. It seemed like they were from an old show, but that couldn't be right. They hadn't aged at all. Nevertheless, he pointed at the guy and took a guess. Are you that guy on Mad Men? Percy! Annabeth looked horrified. What? He protested. I don't watch a lot of TV. That's Gregory Peck! Annabeth's eyes were wide and her mouth kept falling open. And... Oh, gods. Audrey Hepburn? I know this movie. Roman Holiday, but that was from the 1950s. How? Oh, my dear. The woman twirled like an air spirit and sat down at their table. 
I'm afraid you've mistaken me for someone else. My name is Rhea Sylvia. I was the mother of Romulus and Remus thousands of years ago. But you're so kind to think I look as young as the 1950s. And this is my husband. Tiburnus, said Gregory Peck, thrusting out his hand to Percy in a manly way. God of the River Tiber. Percy shook his hand. The guy smelled of aftershave. Of course, if Percy were the Tiber River, he'd probably want to mask the smell with cologne, too. Uh, hi, Percy said. Do you always, do you two always look like American movie stars? Do we? Tyburn has frowned and studied his clothes. I'm not sure, actually. The migration of Western civilization goes both ways, you know. Rome affected the world, but the world also affects Rome. There does seem to be a lot of American influence lately. I've rather lost track over the centuries. Uh, okay, Percy said, but... You're here to help? My naiads told me you two were here. Tyburnus cast his dark eyes toward Annabeth. You have the map, my dear, and your letter of introduction? Uh, uh, Annabeth handed him the letter and the disc of bronze. She was staring at the river god so intently, Percy started to feel jealous. So, she stammered, you've helped other children of Athena with this quest? Oh, my dear! The pretty lady, Rhea Sylvia, put her hand on Annabeth's shoulder. Tiberius is ever so helpful. He saved my children, Romulus and Remus, you know, and brought them to the wolf goddess, Lupa. Later, when that old king, Newman, tried to kill me, Tiberius took pity on me and made me his wife. I've been ruling the River Kingdom at his side ever since. He's just dreamy. Thank you, my dear. Tyburn has said with a wry smile. And yes, Annabeth Chase, I have helped many of your siblings to at least begin their journey safely. A shame all of them died painfully later on. Well, your documents seem in order. We should get going. The mark of Athena waits. Percy gripped Annabeth's hand, probably a little too tight. Tyburnus, let me go with her just a little farther. Rhea Sylvia laughed sweetly. <laughs> but you can't, silly boy. You must return to your ship and gather your other friends. Confront the giants. The way will appear in your friend Piper's knife. Annabeth has a different path. She must walk alone. Indeed, Tyrannus said. Annabeth must face the guardian of the shrine by herself. It is the only way. And Percy Jackson, you have less time than you realize to rescue your friend in the jar. You must hurry. Percy's pizza felt like a cement lump in his stomach. But... It's all right, Percy. Annabeth squeezed his hand. I need to do this. He started to protest. Her, his, her expression stopped him. She was terrified by doing her best to hide it for his sake. If he tried to argue, he would only make things harder for her. Or worse, he might convince her to stay. Then she would have to live with the knowledge that she'd back down from her biggest challenge. Assuming they survived at all, with Rome about to get leveled and Gaia about to rise and destroy the world... The Athena statue held the key to defeating the giants. Percy didn't know why or how, but Annabeth was the only one who could find it. You're right, he said, forcing out the words. Be safe. Rhea Sylvia giggled like it was a ridiculous comment. <laughs> safe? Not at all, but necessary. Come, Annabeth, my dear, we'll show you where your path starts. After that, you're on your own. Annabeth kissed Percy. She hesitated like she was wondering what else to say, and she shouldered her backpack and climbed on the back of the scooter. 
Percy hated it. He would have preferred to fight any monster in the world. He would have preferred a rematch with Chrysler. But he forced himself to stay in his chair and watch as Annabeth motored off the, through the streets of Rome with Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn. That's the end of chapter 32. I think I do understand Percy's... Well, first of all, before we go into the analysis, I think that that was a certainly wonderful chapter. Um, just seeing the relationship between those two is just starting to deepen and we can see the connection, you know, just continuing to get stronger and stronger as we continue to read across the book. And in some ways or another, I think we can understand where Percy is coming from because he was, for months, he was in this amnesiac period where he didn't remember anything and he was away from Annabeth as well. And I guess being able to finally reunite reunite with her and then finally and then having to let go of her again it's 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 pretty hard for him i think is uh, is what i think from his perspective he's just unable to let go because he's been away she's he's been away from her for so long so it's just then want that inner feeling of i want to spend just one more minute with annabeth and it's just amazing to see their relationship and how much they they love each other. I don't think this is a matter of liking anymore. I think this is just... They just love each other so much that they're just... On that emotional connection with each other. So, yeah. I have no doubt that Annabeth is probably going to crush this challenge. But it'll be great seeing how the rest of this is going to fare out. After the break, we'll finish the episode by reading chapter 33 um, from Annabeth's perspective. So now we're going to see how Annabeth is going to fare against doing this challenge and seeing it from her perspective. So don't go anywhere. Maybe take a five, maybe take a few, a few minutes of a break. Maybe grab some, some warm drink or any snack um, as we continue to read the mark of Athena. So see you guys after the break. And we're back from the ads. And now we're going to read chapter 33, Annabeth. Annabeth figured it could have been worse. If she had to go on a horrifying solo quest, at least she'd gotten to have lunch with Percy on the banks of the Tiber first. Now she got to take a scooter ride with Gregory Peck. She only knew about that old movie because of her dad. Over the past few years since the two of them had made up, they'd spend more time together, and she learned that her dad had a sappy side. Sure, he liked military history, weapons, and biplanes, but he also loved old films, especially romantic comedies from the 1940s and 50s. Roman Holiday was one of his favorites. He'd made Annabeth watch it. She thought the plot was silly, princess escapes her minders and falls in love with an American journalist in Rome, but she suspected her dad liked it because it reminded him of his own romance with the goddess Athena, another impossible pairing that couldn't end happily. Her dad was nothing like Gregory Peck. Athena certainly wasn't anything like Audrey Hepburn, but Annabeth knew that people saw what they wanted to see. They didn't need the mist to warp their perceptions. As the baby blue scooters zipped through the streets of Rome, the goddess Rhea Silvia gave Annabeth a running commentary on how the city had changed over the centuries. The Simplician Bridge over the, was over there, she said, pointing to a bend in the Tiber. 
you know, where Horatius and his two friends defended the city from an invading army? Now there was a brave Roman. And look, dear, Tiberius added, that's the place where Romulus and Remus washed ashore. He seemed to be talking about a spot on the riverside where some ducks were making a nest out of torn-up plastic bags and candy wrappers. Ah, yes, Rhea Sylvia sighed happily. You were so kind to flood yourself and wash my babies ashore for the wolves to find. It was nothing, Tiberius said. Anvis felt lightheaded. The river god was talking about something that happened thousands of years ago, when this area was nothing but marshes and maybe some shacks. Tyrannus saved two babies, one of whom went on to found the world's greatest empire. It was nothing. Rhea Sylvia pointed out a large modern uh, apartment building. That used to be the temple to Venus. Then it was a church. Then a palace. Then an apartment building. It burned down three times. Now it's an apartment building again. And that spot right there... Please, Annabeth said, you're making me dizzy. Rhea Sylvia laughed. <laughs> I'm sorry, dear. Layers upon layers of history here. But it's nothing compared to Greece. Athens was old when Rome was a collection of mud huts. You'll see if you survive. Not helping, Annabeth muttered. Here we are, Tyrannus announced. He pulled over in front of a large marble building. The facade covered in city grime, but still beautiful. Ornate carvings of Roman gods decorated the roofline. The massive entrance was barred with iron gates, heavily padlocked. I'm going in there? Annabeth wished she'd brought Leo, or at least borrowed some wire cutters from his tool belt. Rhea Sylvia covered her mouth and giggled. No, my, no, my dear. Not in it. Under it. Tiberius pointed to a set of stone steps on the side of the building, the sort that would have led to a basement, a basement apartment if this place were in Manhattan. Rome is chaotic above ground, Tiberius said, but that's nothing compared to below ground. You must descend into the buried city, Annabeth Chase. Find the altar of the foreign god. The failures of your predecessors will guide you. After that, I do not know. Emmett's backpack felt heavy on her shoulders. She'd been studying the bronze map for days now, scouring Daedalus's laptop for information. Unfortunately, the few things she had learned made this quest even more impossible. My siblings, none of them made it all the way to the shrine, did they? Tyrannus shook his head. But you know what prize awaits if you can liberate it. Yes, Annabeth said. He could bring peace to the children of Greece and Rome. Oh, my bad. It could bring peace to the children of Greece and Rome, Rhea Sylvia said. It could change the course of the coming war. If I live, Annabeth said. Tyrannus nodded sadly, because you also understand the guardian you must face. Ameth remembered the spiders at Fort Sumter and the dream Percy had described, the hissing voice in the dark. Yes. Rhea Sylvia looked at her husband. She is brave. Perhaps she is stronger than the others. I hope so, said the river god. Goodbye, Annabeth Chase, and good luck. Rhea Sylvia beamed. We have such a lovely afternoon planned. Off to shop. Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn sped off on their baby blue motorbike. Then Annabeth turned and descended the steps, alone. She'd been underground plenty of times, but halfway down the steps she realized just how long it had been since she'd adventured by herself. She froze. Gods. She hadn't done something like this since she was a kid. After running away from home, she'd spent a few weeks surviving on her own. 
living in alleyways and hiding from monsters until Talia and Luke took her under her their wings. Then once she'd arrived at Camp Half-Blood, she'd lived there until she was 12. After that, all her quests had been with Percy or her other friends. The last time she had felt this scared and alone, she'd been seven years old. She remembered the day Talia, Luke, and she had wandered into a cyclops lair in Brooklyn. Talia and Luke had gotten captured, and Annabeth had to cut them free. She, had re- she still remembered shivering in a dark corner of that dilapidated mansion, listening to the cyclops mimicking her friend's voices, trying to trick her into coming out into the open. What if this was a trick too? She wondered. What if those other children of Athena died because Tiberinus and Rhea Sylvia led them into a trap? Would Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn do something like that? She forced herself to keep going. She had no choice. If the Athena Parthenos was really down here, it could decide the fate of the war. More importantly, it could help her mom. Athena needed her. At the bottom of the steps, she reached an old wooden door with an iron pole ring. Above the ring was a metal plate with a keyhole. Abbott started considering ways to pick at the lock, but as soon as she touched the pole ring, a fiery shape burned in the middle of the door. The silhouette of Athena's owl. Smoke plumed from the keyhole. The the door swung inward. Ambeth looked up one last time. At the top of the stairwell, the sky was a square of brilliant blue. Mortals would be enjoying the warm afternoon. Couples would be holding hands at the cafes. Tourists would be bustling through the shops and museums. Regular Romans would be going about their daily business, probably not considering the thousands of years of history under their feet, and definitely unaware of the spirits, gods, and monsters that still dwelt here. Or the fact that their city might be destroyed today unless a certain group of demigods succeeded in stopping the giants. Amos stepped through the doorway. She found herself in a basement that was an architectural cyborg. Ancient brick walls were crisscrossed with modern electrical cables and plumbing. The ceiling was held up with a com- combination of steel scaffolding and old granite Roman columns. The front half of the basement was stacked with crates. Out of curiosity, Annabeth opened a few. Some were packed with multicolored spools of string, like for kites or arts and crafts projects. Other crates were full of cheap plastic gladiator swords. Maybe at one point this had been a storage area for a tourist shop. In the back of the basement, the floor had been excavated, revealing another set of steps. These of white stone, leading still deeper underground. Ameth crept to the edge. Even with the glow cast by her dagger, it was too dark to see below. She rested her hand on the wall and found a light switch. She flipped it. Glaring white fluorescent bulbs illuminated the stairs. Below, she saw a mosaic floor decorated with deer and fawns. Maybe a room from an ancient Roman villa just stashed away under this modern basement, along with the crates of string and plastic swords. She climbed down. The room was about 20 feet square. The walls had once been brightly painted, but most of the frescoes had been peeled or faded. The only exit was a hole dug in one corner of the floor, where the mosaic had been pulled up. Annabeth crouched next to the opening. It dropped straight down into the larger cavern, but Annabeth couldn't see the bottom. She heard running water maybe 30 or 40 feet below. The air didn't smell like a sewer just old and musty and slightly sweet like moldering flowers perhaps it was an old water line from the aqueducts there was no way down i'm not jumping she muttered to herself as if in reply something glowed in the darkness 
the mark of Athena blazed to life at the bottom of the cavern, revealing glistening brickwork along a subterranean canal 40 feet below. The fiery owl seemed to taunting her. Well, this is the way, kid, so you'd better figure something out. Ameth considered her options. Too dangerous to jump, no ladders or ropes. She thought about borrowing some metal scaffolding from above to use as a fire pole, but it was all bolted in place. Besides, she didn't want to cause the building to collapse on top of her. Frustration crawled through her like an army of termites. She had spent her life watching other demigods gain amazing powers. Percy could control water. If he were here, he could raise the water level and simply float down. Hazel, from what she had said, could find her way underground with flawless accuracy and even create or change the course of tunnels. She could easily make a new path. Leo would just pull, would pull just the right tools from his belt and build something to do the job. Frank could turn into a bird. Jason could simply control the wind and float down. Even Piper with her charm speak. She could have convinced Tyrannus and Rhea Sylvia to be a bit, little bit more helpful. What did Annabeth have? A bronze dagger that did nothing special. And a cursed silver coin. She had her backpack with Daedalus' laptop, a water bottle, and a few pieces of ambrosia for emergencies. And a box of matches. Probably useless, but her dad had drilled into her head that she should always have a way to make fire. She had no amazing powers. Even her one true magic item, uh, item, her New York Yankees cap of invisibility, had stopped working and was still back in her cabin on the Argo II. You've got your intelligence, a voice said. Ameth wondered if Athena was speaking to her, but that was probably just wishful thinking. Intelligence. Like Athena's favorite hero, Odysseus. He'd won the Trojan War with cleverness, not strength. He'd overcome all sorts of monsters and hardships with, quick his, with his quick wits. That's what Athena valued. Wisdom's daughter walks alone. That didn't mean just without other people, Ameth realized. It meant without any special powers. Okay. So how to get down there safely and make sure she had a way to get out again if necessary. She climbed back to the basement and started at the open crates. Kite string and plastic swords. The idea that came to her was so ridiculous she almost had to laugh, but it was better than nothing. She set to work. Her hands seemed to know what exactly to do. Something that happened like, she, when, like when she was helping Leo with the ship's machinery or Dar drawing architectural plans on the computer. She never made anything of kite string and plastic swords, but it seemed easy, natural. Within minutes, she used a dozen balls of string and a crate full of swords to create a makeshift rope ladder, a braided line woven for strength, yet not too thick, with swords tied at two-foot two intervals to serve as hand and footholds. As a test, she tied one end around a support column and leaned on the rope with all her weight. The plastic swords bent under her, but they provided some extra bulk to the knots in the cord, so at least she could keep a better grip. The ladder wouldn't win any design awards, but it might get her to the bottom of the cave's cavern safely. First, she stuffed her backpack with the leftover spools of string. She wasn't sure why, but there was one more resource, resource and not too heavy. She headed back to the hole in the mosaic floor. She secured one end of her ladder to the nearest plate piece of scaffolding, lowered the rope into the cavern, and shinnied. And that's the end of chapter 33. I think, well, first of all, that was also an awesome chapter. I think just seeing more into Annabeth's mindset and her thinking process is, we can actually kind of relate it to Leo's. When, um, because some chapters ago, we also saw Leo's perspective as well. 
you know, he was questioning himself. He was like the seventh wheel looking at all these couples. And he essentially thought to himself that nobody liked him. He was kind of an outcast. And we can see the exact similar thinking in Annabeth. She thinks because everybody else has special powers and she has nothing, even though her intelligence is probably one of the strongest abilities out there, she just, she has an amount of little... She, her self-esteem is not good. She has... Cause, because, you know... Just like Leo, they both doubt themselves. They both doubt that, you know, they're not good enough for the others. They both doubt that they're just, they're nothing compared to everybody else. It's kind of like that imposter syndrome. The, and um, it's they're like they're thinking at the back of their heads that they're just not worth it for anybody. Um, but that does not necessarily mean that I am diagnosing these two with imposter syndrome i am in no place uh credible to be able to do that but just seeing them question their themselves is just it's so similar in thinking it's that this group could be able to would be able to be strong together if they would be able to uh, i guess understand each other and their connection especially annabeth and leo with how their mindset is if they can help each other out and just say hey you're so intelligent and so and so and then annabeth tells leo that you've got amazing engineering skills and firepowers it's like those kind of exchanges i think would make the group stronger overall and just more more cohesive in general so i think that will come within time it's the fact that they were introduced to each other not too long ago and now they are the seven that makes or breaks the future of both camps, both Camp Jupiter and Camp Half-Blood. But I think I have utmost faith in this group, and I do believe that as time goes, just like Leo, Leo had first doubted himself. Leo had little to little to none self-esteem because of how he was, he felt like he was the outcast. He no matter where he went he was he was just an outsider but as time went on and he started to build these trust relationships with other with the other demigods it just improved for him and he also started to think better of himself as well so i think with this and for annabeth it's a journey of of the self as well it's not just to find athena's statue but it's also the, a journey of finding one like finding Annabeth, finding who she really is. And I think when she comes out of this, I hope she comes out of this. She's, I have strong faith in her that she's going to be able to come out of this challenge. I think it's going to bring herself into a new light and see herself in a new perspective, in a new amount of self-respect for herself. So yeah, I think this chapter was, again, very, very important for the character development of Annabeth because we've always seen her as this intelligent demigod, but we've never seen too much into what she thinks of herself. Just little sporadic times of that. So I think that was that was fascinating in seeing how she thinks of herself. And I think it's going to get better over time. Uh, yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode uh, as much as I did reading it. Um, next week, we're going to 
continue to see how the the rest of this journey goes on and hopefully we'll be able to see some progress and see that annabeth is able to um survive out of this be that demigod that is able to survive and get the athena statue so until next week uh oh before before i end the episode if you guys want to show some extra support totally optional but if you wanted to there's a link to a patreon in in the description of my podcast again totally optional but it would be much appreciated if you decided that you could you wanted to show some extra support um but thank you guys love thank you guys for listening to this podcast uh, episode <laughs> and be sure to check the previous episode as well and until next week stay safe and stay out of boredom <laughs>